used to say, Dicker's too short planks, but, but it's, it's a nice lad. Anyway, I'm not going there. And four people, four young people said, I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of anybody who would be my hero, who I would look up to or what I would aspire to be. Uh, one person said, Chris Paul, basketball player. You can guarantee who, who that would be. And so I started to think, what, I, what would I have said at their age if somebody had asked me, who, who influences you? Who do you connect with? Who do you look up to? And bearing in mind, um, there were no iPads, no mobile phones, no computers, television black and white, and only a few programs. So what we did have, we had, we had Saturday morning cinema. Can you remember Saturday morning cinema, Dave? You can remember that. You can remember that, can't you, John? Where hundreds of kids used to stream down to the cinema. And I don't know how much it, can't remember now. Threepence or sixpence. A tanner. Somebody shouted out a tanner. Right? That sounds right. Well, what we used to do, I know it's naughty, but we used to club together because we were quite poor uh, on our street. And uh, we'd just pay for one person to go in and they'd open fire door. And before the, uh, <laughs> before the usher came in, we just used to rush in and sit down on the seats. I know it's naughty, but that's what we did because... We wanted to see the latest films. Champion the Wonder Horse. But my favourite, The Lone Ranger. Oh, I used to love The Lone Ranger. And even The Lone Ranger, The Lone Ranger, connected with somebody. His best mate, Tonto. Before I move on, can I just tell you my favourite Lone Ranger joke? It's got nothing to do with the preaching. <laughs> my favourite Lone Ranger joke. Lone Ranger and Tonto go galloping into Fort Laramie. and shout, close the gates, close the gates, the Indians are attacking. And the commanding officer comes out. And Tonto jumps off his horse and lays down with his ear on the floor like that. And the commanding officer comes out and says, what's the matter, Lone Ranger? He says, the Indians are going to attack the fort. And Tonto says... 500 Sioux, 300 white horses, 200 black horses, war lance and spear, 200 with repeating rifles. And Lone Ranger, uh, the commanding officer says, you can tell all that by putting your ear to the ground. He said, no, I can see under the gap and gate there. Look. <laughs> anyway, so my dad was an avid cowboy fan. Right? He was an avid cowboy fan. And we used to, I used to sit with him on the Saturday afternoon and we watch cowboy after cowboy. Randolph Scott, Audie Murphy, and of course the best cowboy of them all, John Wayne. Get off your horse. Yeah? And so all these things, I, I think now, started to influence me. Now you knew when you were watching cowboy films, because basically it was the same story. A, a, a bad guy tries to pinch all the land and all the cattle and the beautiful girl. And the good guy used to say, no, I'm going to have all the land, all the cattle, and the beautiful girl. So they'd have a bit of a rumble, a bit of a ruckus. And the good guy always won. And everybody went home feeling happy, except the bad guy. Now, I don't know if watching all these cowboy films influenced me or not, but I came across some photos when I was younger. And we're going to just put the photos uh, up uh, at the moment. So if we can have the first one. There I am with my cowboy hat and sheriff badge. And the next one, please. There I am riding across the plains of Oklahoma 
I've got a blazer on there, but believe it or not, I've got a sheriff badge on as well. It wasn't Oklahoma, I think it was Yarmouth. And there we are on the stagecoach. Again, with me uh, cowboy hat and the sheriff's badge. The next one, uh, I've been promoted. That's a marshal. That's a marshal, U.S. States marshal badge on there. And, Josh, that was the haircut of the day, mate. I'm telling you. I'm not saying anything about my cardigan that my mum used to knit me. I'm just glad it's not in colour. But... <laughs> But there I am, and the next one. There I am, 16-year-old, 16 16-and-a-half-year-old, 16 as a police cadet on my first uh, uh, journey into the police force. And then finally, there I am, I don't know if you can spot me, 19-and-a-half as a police constable. So I don't know whether, thanks, sir, Chris, so I don't know whether all that cowboy watching sheriffs and marshals had any influence on me, but I, I don't know, perhaps I was just destined to be, to be a lawman. So, you know, sometimes we, we need to look, watch what connections we're making and what influences. Let me ask you the important question. Who, what are you watching? What films are you watching? Who and what are you connecting with? How do they influence you? How can we connect with God in a way that is deeper and more intimate, more intentional, more purposeful? Well, the Bible is a great way of connecting with God. When we read his word, it helps us to stay, to, to connect with God and stay connected with God. Jesus connected with a lot of people. We can read that in the Bible. He connected with a lot of people. He must have healed hundreds, if not thousands of people. He connected with 5,000 people in one go at one meal. But sometimes he went and connected at a deeper level. With 12 young men. He connected with them at a deeper level. And he even connected with some of those 12 on an even more deeper level. This morning I want to concentrate just for a few moments on the connection that Jesus had with one of his disciples called Simon. Simon Peter. And uh, Liz is going to read uh, the first verse. I'm going to read from the, uh, the Bible. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. They are the four uh, disciples of Jesus who were eyewitnesses and wrote down their recollection of what Jesus said and what Jesus did. So the first book in the New Testament is Matthew, and that's what we're going to read from. And this is Matthew's recollection of a conversation that Jesus had with Peter. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. 
and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. What a great connection this is. Jesus connecting with Peter to build his church. The Son of God connecting with a young, impetuous, impatient, headstrong youth. Simon, who had received a revelation from God. And Jesus, the name above all names, changes Simon's name. And he says this, Simon bar Jonah, bar meaning son of Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus renames him as Peter. Now, just bear with me, because I'm going to go into the bit of the Greek at that moment. It sounds a bit geekish, but it, it is so important. The Greek word is petros, and it's a masculine word. It's a, 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 and it means stone. But it means a stone, a small, wobbly, and easily movable stone, something that you could fit in your hand and throw away. And so being called that. Just how wobbly and easily movable that stone actually is, Peter readily demonstrates by forwarding the daftest of proposals at times, by jumping overboard to walk on water while leaving his faith in the boat, by lopping a guard's ear off when they come to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and ultimately by denying that he was even ever associated with Jesus after his arrest. Wow, so Jesus is saying to Peter, Petros, a small wobbly stone, I'm going to use you and on this stone, now this is a different Greek word, this is the feminine noun, and it's Petra. And Petra means unmovable. It means something that you would use to build your house foundation on. So he's saying, basically, I'm going to build my church, I'm going to take this wobbly faith I'm going to place it on this revelation that I am the son of God which is unmovable and we're going to build our church now that gives me great encouragement because I can identify with Peter very easily sometimes my faith is small and wobbly but when you put God first in your life faith Rest, that wobbly faith, rests on that solid foundation stone of Jesus Christ being the Messiah, being the Son of the living God. Let's continue reading, verses 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Let me just stop there and address this very important, very strong statement from Jesus. Jesus, although connecting with Peter in a very close way, has to challenge him and bring him up sharp in the strongest terms, calling him Satan. Satan, get behind me. 
Hey, what what would, would, must have Peter have thought about that? I can imagine Peter being taken aback and being upset by this language. But Jesus had to make it very clear to Peter because although Peter has had this revelation from God that Jesus is the son of the living God, at the moment, at this time in Peter's life, it is an intellectual truth. This revelation is not dropped down to Peter's heart because at this moment in time Peter is still living with his needs first he's still living with his thoughts and his ambitions first using his worldly wisdom and not putting God first and Peter obviously wants to protect Jesus but he's doing it through his worldly eyes and Jesus quickly puts him right it's not about your plans Peter It's not about your plans. It's about God's plans. Putting God first in your life. This lesson must have took Peter many years to understand. He certainly didn't get until after the death and resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus goes on to reinforce this message in the following verses. Verses 24 to 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me... Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man who will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So Jesus connecting with Peter in a real strong way. This is a real important conversation. And he's saying to Peter, look, if you want to be my disciple, there are four things that you need to do. This is not easy. If we can grasp what Jesus is saying to Peter and apply it to our lives, it will change your life. It will change this church. It will change this community. These are the four things that Jesus is talking about. Number one, deny yourself. Now, self-denial is not about making life difficult for yourself. It's not about wearing a hair shirt, making you feel uncomfortable. It's not about... I'm not going to take sugar in my tea or even worse, sugar in my coffee because I don't want the luxury. That is not self-denial. It's not about denying yourself any luxury to prove how pious you are. Jesus is saying to Peter and the disciples, look guys, if it is God's will for me to go to, to Jerusalem and be crucified, so be it. I am here to do God's will whatever that may be. Jesus is putting God first. And he's saying to these young men he has connected with, to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Lay down your ambitions. Lay down your pride. Lay down your hopes and dreams. And put God first. Because when you do that, when you put God first, he will direct you in such a way that your worldly hopes dreams, ambitions will seem of no consequence and fall short of what God has in store for you. 
This is what it means to be a disciple. When we come to the point where we put God first and whatever happens to me is unimportant, then we actually find a release of the pressure of trying to succeed in this life. We find our comfort, our wealth, our pleasure, our identity, our purpose in life in doing what God wants us to do. Point two, take up your cross. Die to yourself. A lot of confusion about this. I've heard many people say, you know, I suffer from arthritis. And I'm not, you know, decrying that. It's painful. I know, sometimes I do. And sometimes people say, oh, I suffer from arthritis, but, you know, I have to bear with it because that's my cross. No, it's not. It's just your arthritis. Some people might say, oh, my mother-in-law. She's the cross I have to bear. Well, no. She may be a cross mother-in-law, but it's not your cross. We need to understand what what it means to take up your cross. He's saying to Peter, unless you take up the very thing that you are telling me to lay down, you can never be my disciple. The disciples understood one thing about the message of the cross. Whenever they saw somebody carrying a cross out of Jerusalem, they knew they were on a one-way journey. They knew that they were not coming back. Carrying a cross meant humiliation and death. It is the equivalent of digging your own grave. But you see... The cross in the life of Jesus was the sign of his ultimate obedience to God, to his Father. Now, many of us will know the story of Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. And he'd been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And then he took Peter, James, and John to one side, took them a little further along. And Jesus became so sorrowful, and to the point of death, it says in the Bible, and he cries out. And this is, you can read it again this in Matthew 26, 39. He says, he went a little further and he fell on his face praying and saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus is basically saying, if there is any other way for men and women, for boys and girls to be reconciled to you, father, then take this cup of suffering from me. I don't want to go to the cross. But not my will, but yours, Father. The cross. The rugged, rough-hewn cross that Jesus carried. The cross that Jesus battered and bruised body was nailed to. That cross that stood tall and high in humiliation, pain, and death. That cross was the ultimate obedience to God. That's what it means to be a disciple. And Jesus is asking each and every one of us to take up our cross, whatever that may mean to us. Obedience. And in doing so, we are proclaiming, not my will, but yours be done. Through thick and thin, good times and bad times, through the ease and the hardship, your will be done. When it breaks my heart and I weep, your will be done. I heard this great quote. God won't teach you anything new until your obedience is up to date. Are you obedient? Are you putting God first? The third thing, follow me. 
Jesus says, follow me. And many people really don't understand the significance of what that means. To follow Jesus, you have to demote yourself. Get behind Jesus. Our own agenda must be dropped to follow Jesus, to follow God's agenda. And when we follow him, don't try and push your ideas, your agenda to the forefront. The problem is, very often, that we want to maintain some control of our lives. We're all like that. I know I am at times. And every time I do take control, I make a mess of it. And so I've learned now just to submit to God, to follow Jesus. And this is really liberating. When we let God be in charge, when we let God lead, when we know a higher power has his hand on our lives, we can sleep at night and not worry about the next day. Because he is in control. And we may be going through bad times. We may have had some bad news from the doctors. We may have terrible times. But when we know that God is in control, it takes that pressure off us. Dare to follow Jesus. A great quote from Henry Drummond, a Scottish businessman and preacher, he said this, I want you to know that the entrance fee to, entrance fee to heaven is nothing. But the subscription is everything you've got. We get into heaven free. It's a free gift. But the life we live is the subscription price that we pay. And it costs us everything. Why do we try and push ahead of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What can we do but to give him everything? Point four. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, decide to lose your life. Live for his sake. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, pioneer in China, said, The secret of a changed life is in discovering it is an exchanged life. So if you hand your life over to Jesus, then Jesus Christ will hand his life over to you. You find life in all its fullness, in all its abundance. When, they, when, when we live in the fullness of his life and his activity within us, that is a connection worth making. I heard a story of a, a young man who be, became a Christian. He was very proud. He was a very successful businessman. But he learned this lesson, and he, and he turned around to God and said, God, all right, I've tried it my way. I've done everything I can. I'm successful. I've got a lovely family, lovely home, lovely car, lovely house, but I'm empty inside. What do you want me to do? And God said, Give me your life. So he said, God, there's, there's my life. What next? Said, well, give me your family. He said, God, there's my family. So what next? He said, well, give me your job and your, and your wealth. God, you've got my job. You've got my wealth. You've got everything I have. What do you want me to do now? And God says, look after these for me. And that's what it means about putting God first. It's not that he doesn't want us to have good things. Far from it. He wants to bless us. But we need to put God first. Four points. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus, lose your life. Is that the kind of discipleship we are interested in? That sounds hard to me. Is that the depth of connection you want to make with God? Because that is the depth that Jesus is talking about in the scripture. Now those points may seem very daunting and difficult to do. So on a practical level... All right, we hear that, Paul. We, we've heard what you said. We understand what it means now. 
to, to, to deny ourselves, to, to pick up the cross, to follow Jesus, to lose a life. But how do we do it? How do we practically do it? How do we put God first and live as disciples like Jesus has explained in these passages? Well, there's one practical thing. We need to be intentional in connecting with like-minded people. Connect with people who are on the same journey. People who can offer you help and support. People who are going through the same or just been through the same life issues. Connect with people in small groups. Small groups don't just offer a place for people to go to, to just chat and pray. But small groups are about people doing life together, supporting one another. When a group of people come together with the intention of putting God first, something powerful happens. People often go to small group with a need. Very true. Everybody's got needs. And they often go to a small group with a need. But as they enter into the worship and praise of Jesus, they often find that they bring a solution to someone else's need. If you truly want to deepen your connection with Jesus, very difficult to do it alone. Because the enemy, as we know, the devil is like a prowling lion. He wants to isolate you from the herd. And as soon as he gets you alone, bang, he picks you off. There is safety in small groups. Now, some people have got the wrong impression about small groups. Some may think, well, why do I need to go to a small group? I've got my mates around me. I've got family. I connect with people anyway. I am quite happy with my life. Well, that may be the case, and I'm glad for you. But are you putting God first? Does God want you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and in obedience, follow Jesus by joining a small group so that you can be a blessing to others who are less fortunate, who don't have lots of mates, who don't have family to connect with? You may just be the right connection for somebody going through a really tough time. You might be just the right connection to turn somebody's life around. Small groups help us to assist integration into church life. People need to connect quickly with each other. It's often said that if somebody comes to a new church and doesn't relate to at least seven people, they are not likely to remain long. As the church grows, you would think it would be easier to meet and connect with people, but often it is more difficult. You come in on a Sunday morning and you don't know where to sit. Who do I sit with? I don't know anybody. I feel isolated. I feel lonely. And the welcome here is brilliant. I'm not decrying the welcome at Arena Church. I think they do a fantastic job. But when you're in a small group, you connect with people. Oh, how are you? Oh, I'll sit with you. Yeah, come sit with me. And that makes a big difference. Small groups allow people to become rooted into the church, to belong and feel valued, to find a place where their gifts can be used. This is not always possible on a Sunday morning. We don't have, have the time, do we? How do you learn to speak in tongues? Or how to prophesy? Or learn how to use the other gifts of the Spirit? How do you learn to pray? To pray out loud? Small groups, a place where you are actively encouraged to have a go in a safe atmosphere. And if you search the internet for small groups at different churches, you will find lots and lots and lots of testimonies. I've just picked one testimony from the internet. I don't know this person. I just trolled the internet and got this, this testimony. It says this. 
I absolutely need my small group. We study the Bible together, discuss how it applies in our life and pray for one another. The Christian's life is hard to live on our own. It is much easier when you have good friends living life with you. They have become my best friends, friends that accept me even when I struggle. We laugh and we cry together, support and encourage one another. Carl Bloomington. I believe there are some people here this morning that God is really speaking to about small groups and making those all-important connections. No matter what your initial thoughts are, I'm just too busy. Oh, how can I fit that in? Or I could never lead a small group. I don't know the Bible well enough. Or well, what would people think? What would people say? Or whatever the excuse. Pray about it. Please pray about it. Lay it down. Lay these thoughts down. Demote yourself and promote Jesus. Put God first in your life and follow Jesus. Because I know he will lead you to a small group. Now I'm praying that some of these, uh, these younger people will say to yourselves, well, I'll meet with my mates and connect with my peer group anyway. And I will continue to do that. And that is quite right. You should continue to do that. But I'm praying that some of you will say, I'm going to decide to be intentional and join a small group where the people are older so that I can bring some energy and diversity into that small group and learn some wisdom from the older generation. A multi-generational small groups is an expression of God's kingdom. What a testimony that would be. What a testimony where some young guy, some young girl says, it's not about me. I'm not putting my needs first. But I understand the importance of small groups. So I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. And I'm going to go to a small group. And I'm going to input my enthusiasm, zest for life. And be intentional about putting God first. Jesus showed us a great example of what small groups can achieve. (laughs) That small group of disciples changed the world forever. And I truly believe that small groups will not only change our church, but will impact and change our communities. Church, hear me. Church. It is time to connect. Connect deeper with God and to connect closer with each other. Amen.